morning, Kettlebrook family. Troy and Ryan here want to welcome those of you who are watching this gathering virtually. We're excited for our gathering this morning as we gather together here in West Bend as well as in Jackson. And wherever you are watching this, we're encouraged by what God's doing in our midst. Now, that said, if you're watching online, there may be a number of reasons why you're watching online. Something that's near and dear to our hearts is to make sure that we know that the virtual gathering is never intended to replace the, the engagement that you are meant to have with brothers and sisters in Christ face to face. Yeah, Hebrews talks about the importance of, of gathering together. Jesus himself took on flesh and embodied who God was. And so we want to have an embodied faith. There's just something that happens that's mysterious but amazing when we gather together physically with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So with that, we ask that you would enjoy this gathering. Uh, we'd love to see you back in person as you're able. God bless. When I came, I was very disappointed. He wouldn't give me the youth. He said that we've got somebody doing the youth job. He said, it seems to be in America, you need to do, be with the women. And I said, I don't like women. <laughs> it wasn't true, but I, I said, I want the youth to, please don't bring me here. And I, I don't understand American women. They're so different from all the women. I've, I've been dealing with and I don't know if I could help them and uh, anyway <laughs> two of those women I'd said I didn't like walked up to me and said would you help us start a women's ministry and American women walked into my life and kicked their shoes off and made themselves at home and am I ever glad because then we started a women's ministry and it took off. I'd, I'd take them away once a year to um, a lovely Roman Catholic place where you can just hire it for the day and uh, beautiful by a lake. And um, I'd send them away for the first hour and say, go away and ask God what he wants you to do in the ministry this year. And they came back with the wildest of ideas. Everyone worked. <laughs> and uh, it just multiplied. And uh, sort of almost within two years, we were getting invitations to go all over the state and help churches start those women's ministry. And none of us knew what we were doing, basically. But um, it, 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 it was, a Lutheran Catholic city, mostly Catholics, ladies came. There weren't any except very few small churches like ours. And they um, started to say, we want to join Elmbrook. And I said, no, stay in your church and we will help you. Don't, don't, don't come except to the main meeting we have. And we'll help you and train you to you do it in and they began to do that. It spread the women's ministry all over the city. And uh, those gals were just my neighbors, my friends. And they walked into my life, kicked their shoes off, and I love women. Our God is a missionary God. And he is active, and he's working, and he's writing the script, and he's inviting us to be part of that as he works in mission. Good morning. I'm Steve Farina, and just want to welcome you this morning. want to welcome our visitors who are, or our people who are online watching. Just so glad that you're with us. This is Kettlebrook Church, and we are a people who are a family of followers of Jesus, helping others follow Jesus. Um, you notice that we're not doing announcements uh, this morning. Uh, you can get those online. Be sure that you, if you're not receiving those, that you write to info at kettlebrook.org, and we will send those announcements to you. Next Sunday, want to make you aware 
that it's a normal Sunday. Gatherings will be at 9 and at 10.30. Normal Sunday, next Sunday. And again, we'll have a visiting pastor today. Our visiting pastor is Bob Olniak from Edgerton, from Fulton Church. Very excited to hear what Bob has to say related to mission and being on mission. Also want to remind you, please watch your announcements for the next coming uh, weeks because we have the new series in February on intimacy, our identity and intimacy. It's God's story is good news for every person. There are many narratives in our world influencing our understanding of what our identity is and what intimacy should look like. However, behind all those narratives, God's grand story remains woven into our humanity and calling us towards the kingdom. Join us as we see how God's grand story has good news for our bodies, for our sexuality, our intimacy, and ultimately our identity. Very exciting. There's going to be training opportunities, guest speakers. It's going to be a great, great month. This morning as well, we'd like to be in prayer for our partner, uh, Elevate. Uh, I have the privilege of sitting on the Elevate board um, and see how Elevate has impacted um, our community. The strength of Elevate is helping people in uh, addiction, uh, with the opiate crisis, alcohol addiction, and then also in the area of mental health. Some of the programs that Elevate is uh, involved with and offering have been so helpful within our community, and we're glad to be in partnership with them. And I'd like to pray for them now, if you'd join me. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, God our Father, we invite you this morning. Come, Holy Spirit, and influence us. Lead us this morning. Come and join us. Lead our time in the quietness of your presence. We want to ask you that you would prepare our hearts, prepare our hearts for a time of worship, prepare our hearts for Bob's message, prepare our hearts for prayer, for our time of turn and talk, prepare our hearts for our time of communion this morning. Holy Spirit, lead us, lead us. And Lord Jesus, I have to say to you, I hate what's been happening in our community. I hate this heroin epidemic that has been happening. And I'm so grateful that you have given us concerned individuals and an organization like Elevate that can work and help people to live in their recovery and leave their addiction behind and find uh, meaning and purpose in work and being part of a, a local church and acknowledging you, Jesus, as their higher power. Lord, we want to pray for Elevate today. We want to pray for Mary and her team. We want to pray as they prepare um, uh, for this coming spring for the opportunity to uh, build programs to help people come out of addiction and then to help people with mental health. Lord Jesus, our need in Washington County is so great in the area of mental health as well. Oh, Lord, so many broken people. Help us. Help us, Lord Jesus, as a church to be on mission to help those who are in recovery. Help us to be on mission for those who are experiencing broken mental health. Help us, each one, Lord Jesus, to be missionary because we are called of you. We are sent out by you. You writing the story. And just like Jill talked about, it wasn't exactly what we had pictured. But then as you wrote the story, you invited the women, and they had no idea what they were doing, Jill said, and yet you did great things. Lord, I think Jill would say if... God could use me in that way. He can use all of us in that way. And so we're available. We're available to you, Lord Jesus. Lead us. Lead us, I pray. Lead our time. Thank you. And Lord, I just pray that you would give Bob the inspiration of your spirit. Lead him this morning. Thank you for bringing him to us. We're so grateful. And we ask that you would be glorified and honored in our time. Thank you again. 
And it's in your name we've prayed. Amen. Good morning, Kettlebrook family. Troy here. It's my great honor and privilege to introduce our guest speaker this morning. As you saw just in our, our video just before this, we are in a series called United where we're having uh, different pastors who are part of a larger Brook Church network speak and rotate around. And so this morning, it's my great privilege to share, uh, introduce to you Bob Wolniak. Bob Wolniak is the lead pastor at Fulton Church. He's driving all the way over from Edgerton, Wisconsin to be here with us this morning. I have an amazing uh, opportunity to hear from him. I have a, a relationship that goes kind of way back with Bob. Had a chance to actually be a guest speaker at InterVarsity when he was overseeing InterVarsity years and years ago at MSOE, which was awesome. And then Bob and I had a chance to interact as well throughout some of our coursework at Trinity when we went to school together uh, there. So it is awesome to have Bob here. Can we give Bob a warm Kettlebrook family welcome? Let's see if that works. That seems to be working. Good morning, everybody. Now, I was just making a little bit of a joke there. After all those years of working at the Milwaukee School of Engineering and having an engineering degree, that I'm the one having tech issues this morning. So that's, that's me. Um, I think that I got the good end of the traveling stick of the 15 pastors that are traveling around. I don't, uh, Troy didn't get a chance to share this because he made the video earlier, but he has to go down to Lake Point Church in Muskego the pastor in Lake Point Church has to travel to Fulton, where we just had six and a half inches of snow. And you rescued me from that. Thank you. Thanks for having me here, where we had very little snow. And thanks to, it's great to see so many faces this morning, despite that abysmal experience last night in Lambeau Field. So let's put that out of our minds this morning and attend to the scriptures today. I'm so grateful to be a part of that network. One of the things that we have in common among all the senior pastors is we all have some past relationship of mentoring with Stuart or Jill Briscoe. You saw them at the beginning of our service. Jill was talking about the beginning of that ministry in Milwaukee, and I'm definitely a person who benefited from that and was part of the support network of Meadowbrook Church, Northbrook Church, which I think you guys know as well, was part of your uh, lineage as well here at Kettlebrook. Well, by way of entering into our series, I just wanted to mention the big idea today. So if you just check out of everything else that I say, I just want you to hear this. Um, we don't create unity. God creates unity. But we can keep unity. And one of the best ways that we can keep unity is that if we're all on the same mission. Amen? I'm going to check and see if we really believe that but I think this is a church that does, and Troy has given me a lot of examples of how you're involved in your community, including what we just heard about Elevate, but with a lot of different people groups who are refugees coming into your city, with foster parents and so many other ways. Um, you guys are a great example, but we're going to talk about that. And I want to start, though, by giving you a reminder of some of the negatives of what we've just experienced here in the pandemic area. We live in an era where things we used to be able to assume about the local church are in the midst of rapid change, right? Political banter has overwhelmed and co-opted people's theological commitments. Where we used to commendably have people from all different spectrums 
of political beliefs under the banner and the gospel of Jesus Christ, many are no longer willing to do that, and we're fracturing across the United States. Long-term friendships, even in my church, were deeply strained over what I would consider a minor nuisance, like having to wear a mask or issues of vaccinations. Many more in the United States have identified as having left the church altogether. A recent study reveals new categories emerging in our culture called post-evangelical and the de-churched. Ouch. The American church is getting off task due to its own internal fractures. We've made it too easy for the world to define the church more on the basis of what it stands against than what we stand for. Don't let the world create an identity theft in the church. The pandemic has brought many challenges to our economy. I imagine many of you have read about that and to our way of life. Our world has never been so divided politically, racially, generationally, and economically. The media has dubbed the changing demographics of employment in the United States of America over the past two years as the big quit. Has any of you heard of this or the great resignation? Countless workers, in fact, over 20 million American workers have left their places of employment during this time. Many have shifted to part-time, stay-at-home roles, but who knew that the big quit would also be an apt metaphor for what's been happening in the church as well during the pandemic era. As much as 15% nationwide of pre-COVID attenders at church have left their home church and are not returning. As I talk to my fellow pastors and long-serving leaders and ministers, we find out that they're transitioning at an alarming rate as well. People are dissatisfied. They're jumping to other things. The very concept of what it means to belong to a church is under siege. So actually, this issue of unity is very practical, and it's very important that we talk about it. And you might be asking the question amidst all that negative data that I just shared, where is there hope? We as pastors joined together to do this series because in part we're convinced, and you saw it on the video, that a divided world more than it ever has before desperately needs a unified church. Amen? So after all that gloomy analysis, I want us to do something this morning to refocus our energy to refocus our worship. Part of listening to a sermon is worship as well, but we get to participate this morning. And I want us to commit that we don't succumb easily to the divisive spirit of the age. So I'd like for everybody to participate in this. All it involves is interacting with one another in a foreign language you've likely never used before and having no idea what you're saying. Ready? Okay. I'm not kidding. I want you to look at the slide. I think we're going to have it up there. There you go. Everyone say this term with me now. Wu Ubuntu. Very good. Let's do it again. Wu Ubuntu. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say that with, with a lot of earnestness. Wu Ubuntu. What are you making me say, guest speaker? What does that mean? Don't worry, it's not embarrassing. You didn't say something inappropriate to the person next to you. Ubuntu is part of a Zulu phrase meaning we are interconnected. That's what you're saying to the person next to you when you said that phrase. This phrase was popularized by Archbishop Desmond Tutu in the post-apartheid era in South Africa. It became a touchstone for their country in all the division that they face. And this is how he described what the importance of that phrase. It means this, I am because we are. When others suffer, I suffer. When others are joyful, so am I. Wu Ubuntu. 
we are interconnected. A person is a person through other people. Ooh. We can live this way because of Christ. There's a recognition that we must embrace the importance and the vitality of unity. Have you ever done a study on unity through the scriptures? It's prominent all the way through. So we're in this series called United, all across southern Wisconsin, 15 different churches at least, and my task is to speak to you on the church's mission in a changing, in a fragmented world that marginalizes the church. And so a good place to start is what is the mission? Well, in a word, in the Bible, in the New Testament, that phrase is redemption. And you guys know what redemption means, right? To redeem is to, is to buy back, to pay the price to restore something precious. God is always facilitating redemption because that's who he is. He's always taking our suffering. He's always taking that and making something out of it. That's who God is. Even in this pandemic era, do you believe that? Well, I guess you do. That's why you're here to worship. God sent his son into the world to redeem it. So we in turn, therefore, are followers in kind. We too are sent ones on a missionary task into our culture. Fundamentally, this is about redeeming. Redeeming the time, the times for they are evil. This has always been God's way. This isn't something new. This isn't something that we're dredging up. Going all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, when sin fragmented and broke the perfect creation that God had made because of our sin, we can see God immediately in that role of redemption right away. God's response to the dilemma of a fractured, alienated, and divided world was to call forth a family. Yep, that was his plan. That would become a people that are God's witnessing agents in the world. We see it from early on in the Bible, from the Abrahamic covenant all the way through syncretizing to its beliefs and its division and its hostility. Unfortunately, at times, we've read parts of our Bible, maybe some of you have read all of it, they were sucked into the ways of the world. Is that what's happening to the church today in the pandemic era? Embracing their division and hostility? This is a sad part of the history of the people in the Bible story, and we don't want to repeat it today. But God never abandoned his commitment to set aside and utilize a people to impact the world and spread his redemption. Jesus, of course, is the ultimate fulfillment of that. He's the foundation that all of it is built upon. Jesus would reestablish a true people starting with 12 disciples. It's all built upon them. Jesus would reestablish that and renew the community. They would be his way of continuing his mission into the world, his body, his church. That's who we are. And if Jesus is the foundation block, then we're chips off the old block, as it were. That's what the biblical text is about this morning that we're going to turn to in a few moments. The Apostle Peter applies the Old Testament truths that were first written to the people of Israel, to the chosen people, now to us, to the church. And he does it to show the continuity of God's mission in the world and how we live it out in this fragmented world. So I want us to turn now to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 12. I'm told that that's page 857 on the Pew Bibles, if you have that in front of you. And I'm going to encourage everybody, even though I put the text on the screen, I want to encourage you to use your Bibles and to see it in context this morning. And all I'm going to do is quickly go through four truths that arise from this passage today. I want to tell you what they are in advance for those who are taking notes. Number one, this passage from the Apostle Peter addresses the nature of the church. We're going to see that in the first couple of verses. Then he talks about the foundation of the church, and then, yeah, we're going to get there, the mission of the church. And finally, 
the example of the church. Okay, are we ready? Everybody ready to dive in? First, let's talk about the nature of the church. We're in verse 4. Again, this is 1 Peter chapter 2. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men in the sight of God, who is chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones. You're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're going to stop there. We'll, we'll keep picking it up. Let's keep your finger there in that passage. You know, as I've reached out to many people during the time of the pandemic, especially people that I haven't seen in a long time that used to, to be a part of our church, inevitably I'd ask them how they were doing. Uh, practical questions like, have you been using the live stream? Have you been plugged in to some of our online classes? And I've had all kinds of different conversations, some encouraging, some not. All too often I'd hear people say this, I like the recorded content that you guys have at Fulton Church. I can just watch it whenever I like. Well, that's fine. But one former uh, regular attender, he told me this, he has no plans to come back to church when the pandemic is finally over. Is it ever going to be over? He likes fishing on Sunday morning now a lot better. And then he said this to me, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, you know. I wonder if he's ever read this passage. Peter says here that as we come to him, as we come to Jesus, we're being built into a spiritual house together. What does that mean? Belonging to God and belonging to the church are coordinate or parallel realities. The community of God's believers, the community of God's believers, is his dwelling place. The church is not one time in a week, it's certainly not a place or a building, but it's the people within it. And in this sense, you can't go to church so much as you can only be the church. Amen? That isn't semantics. When we refuse to fellowship with other believers, we're denying association with the cornerstone that is building us together and making us into a spiritual house. You see what I'm saying? The New Testament knows nothing of an isolated Christianity. You won't find any examples of that. There's no such thing as being a lone ranger when we follow Jesus. Yet there's a lot of Americans during the pandemic who think they can. They're wrong. Another phrase Peter uses here in verse 5, you see a lot of Old Testament language spilling out. He says, holy priesthood, right? I don't know what you picture when you hear this, but it's not about robes and vestments. This is the corporate role of the, com of the community as mediators between people and God. The church's task as a collective priesthood is to intercede, to bring the world to God, and it's to evangelize in another sense, to bring God to the world. This is a reminder of our mission, and it starts with our own community. And he says then that we offer spiritual sacrifices. That is to say that this is ultimately how we worship God, when we live it out in obedience together and before others. Indeed, biblical commentator William Tell famously said it this way. You've probably heard this quote before from Pastor Troy. The church is the only society that exists for the primary benefit of non-members. So that's the true nature of the church. Peter then has a word about the foundation of the church. I won't spend as much time on this, but take a look at verses 6 and 7. There's a lot of quotations from the Old Testament. Let me read it to you. For it stands in the Scriptures, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who don't believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone 
and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So you see, for some people, it's a cornerstone everything is built upon, and for others, it's a stumbling stone, that very same thing. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Okay, lots of Old Testament passages that are being collected here and fulfilled in the person of Jesus. I don't have time to walk through all of them, but suffice to, to say, Christ is our foundation. He's the fulfillment of all those things. Jesus is the ultimate faithful remnant in Isaiah. Jesus is the Messiah figure from Psalm 118. Jesus is Jehovah God himself in Isaiah 8. That's all the passages Peter is using here. But it also says this, Jesus separates all of humankind. He's the cornerstone for those who accept him. He's the stumbling block for those who reject him. It's all about our allegiance to Jesus. That's what makes us a family. Now, this is what I want us to hear. You can have everything in common in the world, but if Christ isn't the cornerstone, you have nothing. No unity is possible, in fact. But flip it on the other side. We can have all kinds of diversity present here, all kinds of ways in which we are not the same. We can believe different political things. We can have all kinds of different interests. We can come from different ethnic backgrounds. But if we have Christ as our Savior, then we are a family. Amen? That's what holds us together. So Peter's given us the nature of the church. He's given us the foundation of the church. Now we're ready to talk about the mission. See, I finally got there. All right, let's continue reading in the passage, verse 9, verse 8 through 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. I want you to underline that if you have it in your Bible. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You see, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Peter takes these words that were issued by God to the people of Israel when they gathered at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19, and he applies it to all of us. You are a people of God's own possession. Some translations capture this with the term treasured possession. I like that. That is to say God owns everything in the universe. Yes, we know that. God's sovereign over all. He owns everything, but he has a special treasure he holds close to his heart, and that is his people. What God once applied to Israel, Peter is applying to the church. That means to all of us. When was the last time that you allowed that reality to penetrate your heart when you gathered together for worship? You are a special prize of God. So, okay, fine, Bob. What does this matter to our theme today about being on a mission? You see, many of us don't accept that we are loved and loved deeply. What else can describe why people have acted so bizarre during the last two years, trying to protect their image, trying to project the idea that we're self-important, trying to show others that we're special, because we have this insatiable desire to be loved and accepted by others. And we can't deal with being rejected. That desire is not wrong per se, but we were made to find our answer in an experience with God's love, not someplace else. Maybe that's why loneliness is so very painful. We weren't created for that. We were created for unity. We were created to be together. The problem comes in when we try to meet our insatiable desire for love outside of God. You know, some people, they try to earn it before God. That's not the gospel. Others try to have the perfect body or the perfect online profile, but you see, those things will never satisfy. So this is why it matters. This is how it connects to our theme this morning. If you don't know how much you're loved... You're going to find it hard to love others. You'll lack the courage to, ask, to act. You won't have the emotional bank account if you can follow that analogy. You'll lack the resources. So what Peter's doing in a heartfelt way is reminding the church who they are and that they're on a mission together. 
but he wants them to know that their identity is God's special possession. And then he describes what the mission is. We just read it. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The word translated here as declare or proclaim is evangelion. It means to spread the good news. The, the purpose of the people of God is to be messengers of the good news. In other words, the point was to bring people to God. Helping people get with God is what the mission of the church is. So when it says declare the praises, it means that we're simply called to tell what Jesus has done to draw us out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Is that what we talk about when we get together? Is that what we're about? Is that our example when we're on social media? How he brought you out of darkness and sin and into the light. You see, we American Christians in this pandemic era seem to be confused about this. Hear me on this now. We think we're supposed to proclaim our superior Christian moral framework in all of its political implications. Sometimes we think we're supposed to tell everybody how badly our society has deteriorated. You'll find a lot of that today. But here the mission of the church is not to proclaim bad news about a bad culture, friends, but good news about a good God. And I got to tell you this, as I interact with people, the world is tired of interacting with Christians who are the crankiest people they ever met. We need to talk more about how Jesus positively is transforming our lives and the people's lives in our community. Amen? Is that the story that you have to tell? How God saved you from darkness. So in summary, our nature is that we're being built into a spiritual house together. Our foundation is only in Jesus Christ and nothing else. It's not in politics. It's not in something else. Everything else is secondary. Third, our mission is to declare his praises. And finally, there's the church's example. Let's take a look at verses 11 and 12, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Really simple to follow, hard to live out. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Instead, live such good lives among the unbelievers around you that though they might now accuse you of doing wrong, Ultimately, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he returns. So how do we do it? What is he trying to say the example of the church is? What is it that we're supposed to practice in front of the world? In essence, it's really easy. Even the kids here can follow. It's called show and tell, right? I love show and tell. It was the best part of being in grade school, right? And what does that mean for us? It means words are not enough. We have to be about living it out and showing it and demonstrating it. The world needs to see it. Look at the, again at those verses in uh, 11 and 12. Abstain from sinful desires. Live such beautiful lives that it compels others to take the church seriously. What might that look like here at Kettlebrook? If the church is seen by our culture primarily on the basis of what we're opposed to, we need to show them something else. Now, I imagine some of you have read this book, but I, I'm a voracious reader. Rodney Stark, a historian, wrote a book. It's got a long title, so bear with me on this. But it's called The Rise of Christianity, but here's the subtitle. How a marginal Jesus movement became the dominant religious force in the Western world in less than two centuries. Fascinating exercise in, in real history. It's all about the early church and its expansion all the way through Europe and Asia in a short period of time. Seemingly impossible expansion in such a short period of time. 
And this is the conclusion of the author, who himself was not a Christian when he wrote this. He said that the early church exemplified four things. I'll show this to you. Four simple things that will challenge us as a church. Number one, integrity. The early church was honest in dealing with others in ways where others took advantage of people. Secondly, sympathy. When others suffered from illness, and especially when the plague was running through Europe, Christians were the first to help even at their own risk and expense. Third, chastity. In a world that's so messed up and broken sexually, they honored marriage and singleness as God created it. I understand our church is going to be studying about that soon. I commend that to you, especially that's one of the most difficult areas in our culture right now is how broken we are on issues of sexuality. So integrity, sympathy, chastity, and finally generosity. They gave up their things sacrificially to help each other, to help the poor. In a short period of time, God used the church to change the world. I was so encouraged to hear about your church. Now, Troy didn't share this with me. I heard it through all the grapevine that this church raised many thousands of dollars to help Afghan refugees. Isn't that right? Here at Kettlebrook in this past December. And, and word gets around, folks. It doesn't just get around among Christians either. You're setting a good example. So what if we were even more like the early church that Rodney Stark talked about here? In our integrity, in our chastity, in our sympathy and generosity, our business practices, the ways that we honor sexuality and marriage, the way we help others who are in need, the way we are generous to the poor. What if we were even more like that? couple more practical suggestions I have for you before we turn and talk to each other. I just want to share this with you, and it kind of comes from the heart of your pastor, and we've talked about this many times. Before anything else, before we start talking about doing all of these things, are you yourself, personally, going higher and deeper in your own personal relationship with Jesus? What steps are you taking to grow in that relationship with Jesus right now? When everybody else is getting distracted and off task, what are you doing to follow hard after Jesus? Secondly, if you've never done this before, I don't know if you did or not, have you ever asked the leaders in your church, the staff and the elders, your pastor also, how you can better join in to the church's mission here in this community. That's a conversation worth having. I wish, I'm kind of preaching at my own church here. That's what I'm doing, Steve. But I'll share it with you as well. I wish more people would ask the leaders in the church how they can join in, how we can do it together. That's a, that's a good and worthwhile conversation. Consider how you can go on a mission together, not just individually, not just as a family unit, but all together at Kettlebrook church. Well, I'd like to pray for you, and then we'll put up some uh, questions for you to churn and talk to each other, but let me just pray. Father, I'm thankful to be here this morning with this wonderful group of people that's already committed to your mission. I pray you deepen that. I pray that you would take us farther. I pray that we would see the fruit of that mission. I pray that we would see ourselves as a treasured possession I pray that they would deepen this phrase, Wu Ubuntu, because they're truly interconnected under the banner of Jesus Christ and the gospel. Would you make that even more true today? In Christ's name, amen. For the turn and talk, and then uh, the band will lead us in worship.
Terry, thank you for doing the turn and talk. Would you stand and sing with us, please? But if you'd have a seat, please. Uh, we're going to take communion now. And I just, if you didn't pick one up on your way in this morning, uh, they're there at a station, station, 
station and then up here in front. Help yourself to that as we share together. What I loved about what Bob said is we know, if we don't know how much God loves us, we won't act like that in the world. And I can't think of a better way for us to see the incredible love that Jesus Christ had for us is that he spread his arms, he allowed his body to be broken, and he shed his blood so that we could draw into God's presence. I was talking with Martha yesterday, and she said to me, you know, Steve, if I truly understood how God deeply loved me, I'd be radically transformed. The problem is I can't get my head around how incredibly he feels about me. And so as we celebrate the communion this morning, we want to embrace how deeply we are loved. Beloved, it says in verse 11 that we just looked at. Beloved, beloved, beloved. Because of his great compassion, his great desire, his great longing for us. So in the night that the Lord Jesus uh, took the bread, just before he was betrayed, when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said this, this is my body. This is my body, which is for you. Take this bread and take it in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. Jesus, thank you for your offering. Thank you that it was your broken body that made the difference. Your broken body that should have been us, and instead you took our place. We're so grateful, so grateful that you would pay for our sin and pay for it completely such that we might enjoy the fullness of who you are and the fullness of the perfect life that you lived. Thank you for the bread which we've taken. It's in your name we've thanked you. Amen. And then in the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. Drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup. Jesus, again, thank you. Thank you for your blood that was spilled and poured out on our behalf. Oh, we're so grateful. So grateful. Thank you that you would give yourself up for us. That your love is so, just, we can't describe it. Thank you again. Thank you for giving of yourself. Amen. Can I just share a quick story with you? We had uh, one of our uh, ladies take one of the Afghan families uh, to the clinic, not once, but twice. And what Bob was talking about this morning is being on mission, not so much with our words, but with our actions. And one of the nurses at the clinic pulled aside our, our Kettlebrook person and said, you know what, what you are doing for these people means so much to me. Speaking volumes. Being on mission, not with words, but with actions. That's what Bob was talking about this morning, having that kind of impact in our community in Washington County. Isn't that cool? Ah, oh, it's cool. It's a great message for communion. Thanks, Steve. Will you stand and sing with us, please?
Would you close your eyes with me? Would you see Jesus looking at you, this carpenter, big broad shoulders, strong, a man's man? Would you see him looking at you with eyes of love and compassion, knowing how he made you, knowing how he wants to design the story to use you in his story? Do you see his great love? Do you see his eyes of love looking at you? Does he, do you see him treasuring you as a treasured possession that he loves desperately? Oh, Lord Jesus, send us out into the world to be yours, your willing servants, your missionary, to be used of you not only with our words, but with our actions, to live out the love that you have shown to us. Oh, we love you so much. Thank you for your call. Thank you for your devotion. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that we get to be with you and with each other as your body. We're united for a divided world. Thank you, Jesus. And it's in your name we've prayed. Amen. Have a great week. Thanks, everybody. Well, thanks for joining us this morning and worshiping with us virtually. We'd love for you to take a next step. Uh, maybe that's joining a group. Maybe that is serving in some way, but some way in a family of faith near you, taking a step beyond the virtual gathering. Yeah, what we read in Scripture is that the body is meant to build one another up into the